for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is the update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Andrew Baggerly, who covers the San Francisco Giants for the Athletic, about the biggest story in baseball this week, the retirement of Buster Posey. The franchise was rocked, not shocked, I don't think, but rocked by the retirement of its face for the last 12 years. Buster Posey surely is going to win the Comeback Player of the Year award. That's two Comeback Player of the Year awards, uh, an MVP, a Rookie of the Year, an over 300 career batting average, three-time world champion, a gold glove, silver sluggers, you name it, he's won it. These are all things we can talk about with Andy Baggerly, who joins me next. Today is Monday, November 8th. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Andy Baggerly. He, of course, covers the Giants for The Athletic, and uh, he was the guy this week. Andy, you you were the one who had the scoop on Buster Posey calling it quits, man. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, how did you take all that in, man? It's sort of a unique thing when a guy decides he's going to end his career on his terms. It happened pretty quickly after the World Series. I don't think I don't think anybody was like super surprised by it, but a little startled uh, that it happened so quickly. Uh, uh, when you found out about it, how did you take all this in, and, and what was your thought process uh, of the press conference on Thursday? Yeah, it's one of those things where he's dropped hints, you know, along the way. He's been noncommittal about playing. And you just had this thought, well, boy, you know, if he'd had a rough year or if he'd been physically just totally compromised and unable to compete, then you would understand. But, you know, the guy had a 22 million option. It was going to be absolutely eagerly picked up by the Giants. And you thought, well, he probably convinced himself to play another year and maybe got some of that spark back by playing for a team that accomplished as much as the Giants did. But that was pretty much the most remarkable thing I think he said at his retirement press conference was, you know, he kept the door open in case he was going to change his mind, but he did think it would be his last year. And the fact he played as well as he did and is going to win a silver slugger and his second comeback player of the year award and and uh, made such a huge impact on a team that won 107 games, that didn't push him off his position that it was going to be his last year. And that more than anything, uh, is what uh, sort of gives him the peace that it's the right decision and that he's okay with it. But, you know, the fact that he kind of would drop hints here and there that that this might be his last year and wasn't really talking about things in terms of the future, you know, he would say, oh, Logan Webb, the Giants have have a good one for years to come, you know, or Camilo Duvall, you know, he, he's going to be a great pitcher for these guys for a long time. You know, it, it were little things like that that would give you a clue in his language that, you know, he was kind of ready to move on. And so, you know, I, I kind of approached it that way. And the more people I talked to as the World Series was coming to a close and you knew the option decision had to be made within five days, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to have some resolution on this fast. And and the more people I talked to, you know, they would throw me little hints here and there. And then, you know, you get steered toward, okay, this is really going to happen. And in fact, it's going to be announced on Thursday. So a little small part of me felt a little, I don't know, guilty, conflicted, whatever, about, you know, breaking the news. Because it's not, you know, not my announcement to make. But at the same time, this is the job. This is what you do. And uh, you know, once it's con- confirmed by multiple people and, and you know it's happening, then you gotta, you know, put it out there. Because I, as I understand it, if I hadn't broken it, somebody else would have uh, on Wednesday. And, and even some people in the front office came up to me after the retirement announcement and said, you know what, it's a good thing it got out there Wednesday because. Anybody who could uh, was shocked by it could get over that and 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 sort of process that, and then 
Thursday could really be about, you know, sort of washing Buster in, in, in the praise he deserved and, and giving him the platform to thank everybody that he wanted to thank and, and kind of considering, you know, his legacy and saying goodbye. So kind of a unique thing, especially for him to retire, you know, fully under his own power of his own volition, not have the jersey ripped off him, but deciding, I, hey, I've given enough to this game. It's not about what more I can get out of it, what more I can squeeze out of it, but I'm a fully formed person. I'm ready to live a life. That's not defined by being a baseball player because that's never the way he defined himself anyway. So you're right. Very unique individual, very unique retirement. It's funny. You mentioned that like this final season, the way he performed didn't knock him off of his his stance that maybe this would be it or that he wanted to retire. And it's also because he looked at it the other way. He looked at it, and I thought this was a great statement by him in the presser, that he said, based on how well he played, he, he thought that was sort of a product of him emptying the tank in a way he never had before, that there were times down the stretch that it wasn't that fun because of how tense it was with the Dodgers chasing them. They were playing playoff games. It felt like basically for that whole final month of September into when they finally played the Dodgers. But it was the other way around. Around. His thought process was, I went out on my own because I emptied the tank. And, you know, I think we look at it and go, yeah, you still got stuff left in there. And it feels to me like his perspective is that he left it all on the field. Yeah. You know, when, when you're the runner and you can see the tape, you know, you, you lean into it, right? And uh, and I think that's that's what he was probably referring to, knowing he wasn't going to have to ramp up and do it all over again next year. So he really could kind of empty the tank. And even then, he needed to take, you know, one day off out of three, and, and they had to be very regimented. And, and he had to be really smart about, you know, how he could pace himself through the season and, and went through a little bit of a lull in the second half and had the, the, the really bad thumb bruise from the, the foul tip he took in Arizona that, that prevented him from playing in the All-Star game and had a lot of things down the line. There, there was a knee, there was a back, there was uh, the hip, basically everything under the sun uh, they had to work on in the trainer's room to get him ready not only to play, but to perform at a level where, I mean, look, the last home run he hit as a big leaguer would have been a splash home run, the only one ever hit by a right-handed hitter if it hadn't hit the uh, the steam cannon post there. So you know, he was doing things physically that he hadn't been able to do in years and probably could have done it again next year. And you know what? The fact that there may be a universal DH I thought was something that could sway him too. But clearly he's done what he wants to do in this game and he sees the I think the season has maybe a little more of an obligation at this point and there are other things that he feels a higher obligation toward toward being and doing and 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 he's ready to give of himself in a different way and that's uh, I think you have to just stand up and and applaud that and say you know good for you and thanks for thanks for all the memories we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors he mentioned numerous times, and you just did too, about the you know the ankle and the back and the thumb, the, the injuries that he sustained, and we never heard him complain about it. You covered him his entire career. Were you surprised to hear that he said things like, you know, maybe five years ago, without this training staff, that might have been it, that he, that he wouldn't have been able to play this long? Were you aware, or do you think the, the beat team in general, were you guys more in tune with how much he was hurting than, than he let on? You know, he's someone who, when he would ice, he would do it in the trainer's room. And when he'd come to his locker, the ice packs would be off. You know, he's not somebody who would give a lot of outward signs that he was dealing with a lot of stuff. I'll bet you there's a lot of times where he would even walk through the clubhouse and probably forced himself to walk without a limp where he otherwise would have one just because he didn't want to be seen as compromised. You know, and, and you know, I, I talked to Dave Greshner, uh, Giants head athletic trainer, after the announcement. And Gresh told me a great story that's in my, my piece about, you know, at the moment when Buster was at his lowest in 2011, writhing in the dirt and agony after the Scott Cousins play that just absolutely wrecked his ankle, tore three ligaments off the bone, broke his fibula, 
And he looks Gresham in the eye and says, don't call for the cart. I'm walking off this field. And he did. He slung an arm over Dave Gresham and Mark Grusbeck, and they carried him off the field. That's the way he wanted to go out. And in a way, it kind of mirrored the way that he went out of his own power, of his own volition, uh, when he walked out uh, onto the sweet level and announced his retirement. You know, this was something that he was going to have as much control over as possible. That toughness, I think, uh, toughness comes in a lot of forms. Because a lot of people might say, hey, you know, you, oh, you don't want to keep playing because you don't want to play in pain. You don't want to play until they rip the uniform off you. You know, some people might even see that as being soft. And I think that it just shows you that toughness comes in a lot of different forms. And in a way, Buster has shown a lot of fortitude and toughness that uh, really is remarkable that, that you don't see a lot in sports. We're going to get a chance, I think, as fans to, to do the send-off for him. I think you'll, you know, we'll get the, the jersey retirement at some point. They'll put him on the Wall of Fame, and maybe at some point they build a statue for him. He's probably on that Mount Rushmore of all-time San Francisco Giants. Uh, but when it comes to the Hall of Fame debate, this is going to be the interesting one in five years. And I think sort of the litmus test for him is going to be Joe Maurer, as far as a guy who had a, sort of a comparable career as a catcher. He obviously DH for the last several years uh, in Minnesota. As far as his Hall of Fame case is this one of the more unique, maybe the most unique Hall of Fame case we've seen, being that he's had all the accolades and awards you can win, but that the numbers don't really add up? Um, you know, not really. I think there is sort of a notion of if your peak was just so undeniable um, and your accomplishments were so undeniable that you don't necessarily need the compiling numbers. You know, I, I think there are some players who did need to get that 500th home run or that 3,000th hit for their sort of candidacy to be taken a little more seriously. And there's certainly no shame, even though there is a bit of a negative connotation in, in being called a compiler. you got to be good enough to wear that uniform long enough to compile. So that's it is a feat in itself. But, you know, it, you don't have to be a Hall of Famer one way. For me, as a Hall of Fame voter, I look at what was your impact on the game? You know, are did you resonate? Were you memorable? Did you create, you know, just iconic moments? And uh, and did you play long enough? And, and were you good enough for long enough? Uh, and, and that is part of it. But I think that, you know, whether it's a Sandy Koufax or um, even a Pedro Martinez, you can point to uh, somebody who was just so uh, iconic during their heights. And the fact, I think, that Buster came back and did what he did last year at 34 just reminded you of how great a talent he was, uh, that he could do that against a time when pitching has never been better and more difficult to hit. He still hit over 300 uh, while catching and providing a ton of, of value as a catcher. And when that stat started going around about shutouts and you realize that he's caught up close to 60 postseason games and a quarter of them have been shutouts and he's caught more shutouts than any catcher in postseason history. I mean, that that to me, I think, is the one where if there are any voters who think, oh, 1,500 hits, you know, whatever, a little light on the counting stats. I think when you see that, you have to kind of go, uh, okay, I get it now. So I actually think he went from being on the fence and even on the fence in my mind, in some respects, as the only guy who covered his entire career. I think last year he just crossed the the line and and he crossed it uh, probably with ease. And I would not be surprised at all if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer five years from now. I'm a little bit surprised to hear you say that, actually, the first ballot. But I, I mean, I'm, if I had a vote, I would do it. You know what I mean? I'd put the guy in. So uh, on the way out, though, is there a note or a stat or something that, that you think about that, that really stands out for Buster? For me, it's it's. I heard George Conto say this the other day. Almost 1,100 games caught, 1,093, 27 pass balls. That's unbelievable to me. Like that, that You catch that many games, 1,100, only 27. Speaks to his longevity as a catcher, speaks to his durability as a catcher, and just how great he was defensively. Is there a stat or a note for him that stands out for you? I would think he'd have 27 pass balls on Jeremy Affelt alone throwing those scuds. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, but um, no, I think to me it's the fact that he was comeback player of the year twice. 
And who does that? You know, he, he comes back from uh, what could be a career-ending injury or a career-altering if he couldn't catch. And he comes back, he not only catches in 2012, but he wins the batting title and he's MVP. I mean, that's, that is winning Comeback Player of the Year award with an exclamation point. And then he comes back from, from opting out of the pandemic-shortened season as a 34-year-old catcher, wanted to prove that he could be an impact player again, and he absolutely was, and, uh, and wins another Comeback Player of the Year award. And then from there... He retires, you know, it's not like that gave him a taste for, for wanting to continue to pour more out. He realized he'd done enough and he'd proven it to himself and, and, uh, that he could play at that level again. And now he's going to go off and be a dad. So I think to me, it's that fact that he won two comeback player of the year awards in his career at two very different times in his career. I think that probably speaks to, you know, what Buster Posey was all about as, as much as anything else. That's pretty great, man. Two comeback players, and now he's the going-away player. That's it, man. So, hey, thanks so much, Bags, for stopping by. And I think like many of the Giants players, we'll talk to you at spring training time, right? All right. Yeah, sounds good. Great stuff from Andy Baggerly. And, wow, saying first ballot Hall of Famer potentially for Buster Posey. Uh, I I hope the rest of baseball sees it that way. I've always thought it was funny that, like, you could give a guy this many awards, and it's the writers who vote for these awards, and then it's time for the writers to vote in a member of the Hall of Fame. And they're like, yeah, no, he didn't do enough. I'm like... You gave him all these awards. How can he not be good enough? So anyway, we'll wait and see five years, and I'm sure we'll get a chance to do the Buster Posey send-off at some point. Thank you to Andy Baggerly. Thank you to Brian, my producer, and thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is that you're listening. we got a lot to get to this week, the 49ers and the Rams. It's Rams week. Could be a tough one for the Niners this week. We'll talk about that as we get closer to Sunday. We'll see if we can track down Jordan Rodriguez. So she'll join us this week as well. Plenty more coming up on the update. Until then, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you Wednesday.